Luis Elizondo, welcome to the uh, program. Director of Global Security to the Stars Academy. Um, Thank you for having me, Mr. Beck. Uh, you you bet. I, I, you're one of the more fascinating guests that we've had on. I think you were on about two years ago, and we were talking about the video that was verified last week. Uh, first of Correct. all, your, your thoughts on on that video, and and what do you think that, that what do you think that could be? Is that is it most likely something we are doing, but the the Defense Department just doesn't talk to itself? Mr. Beck, that's a fantastic, fantastic question. Um, since we spoke, actually, we decided to dedicate some of our time and attention to it to a docu series that actually looks at some of those questions, whether or not this could be a, a, a super secret U.S. technology or perhaps even some sort of foreign adversarial technology that has somehow managed to, if you will, leapfrog ahead of the U.S. and and uh, you know gain strategic surprise. In reality, we really don't know what they are. Uh, these things have been seen for quite some time. Um, what do I think about the first video you, you just asked me about? I think, I think if you look at the video and you know what you're looking at, you'll see some performance characteristics that are well beyond uh, the, the, our current understanding of aerodynamics. For, um, for instance, we, do, we don't see any propulsion, uh, propulsion unit in it. Uh, it's a, if I'm not mistaken, it was a flat surface we we it can start and stop and go at speeds and we can't tell how it's even propelling itself right 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 uh, in essence you have you have these these five observables so to speak that anything that we have that flies in the sky whether it's a, an aircraft or even a, a like a balloon or something like that they all have to abide by the same physics and when you see something that ha- can can perform in ways high high g force acceleration uh, hypersonic velocity sustained and then stop on a diamond hover, uh, things that have the ability to potentially travel in, in, in low Earth orbit, in atmosphere, and potentially even underwater. Those are some of the things that you have to kind of scratch your head at that point and say, okay, is, is this some sort of new technology we're seeing, or is this really a completely different paradigm? So um, is, was there a – can you even tell? Is there a heat signature from it? I mean, is it – do we have any concept as you've been looking into these things? Uh, well, we do. We have some some very bright physicists and scientists that have have partnered with us over the years, and they have come up with some really startling um, hypotheses. And these are hypotheses when you when you look at them collectively. One of the things that until recently, probably the last three years only, this new latest development, we were looking at these 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 observables, if you will, under the lens of different types of exotic technologies that could explain each and every one. And some of the physicists now have come to the conclusion that really what we're seeing, all these capabilities may, and I'll emphasize may, be a manifestation of a single type of of technology. What what does that mean? Well, that means that if if you have a certain uh, type of potentially propulsion drive or unit, uh, you will have the ability to do all these things uh, that we're th- seeing these UAPs do uh, in a way that you don't need five different type of technologies to, fo- to explain the five different, if you will, the observables mm-hmm. that these things are displaying. It's all really one technology potentially. And if you understand how to bend or even flex the, the, the fabric of space-time just a little bit, then all sorts of things that we would Holy consider God. magic will become possible. Does that include these uh, th- this uh, cigar-shaped 
UFO that people are seeing all over the world now. It's been spotted in the United States. It's been spotted in Europe and Asia. Uh, have you have you seen these? Obviously, you've seen these things. These cigar shaped uh, UFOs. UFOs. Yeah, uh, yeah. Of, of course, we we prefer in the government to refer to them as UAP. UAP. But, yeah, you, you, I mean, the, the, they're really rather interchangeable. Those those I guess those that terminology. But yeah, I mean, there's there's commonalities that are seen around the world, whether they are are disc shaped vehicles or they are larger cigar or tic tac shaped vehicles or. In some cases, the very, very large triangular-shaped vehicles. We we simply don't know. And from a national security perspective, if these things really are potentially an adversarial technology, then a they've been around for a long time. B they've managed to hoodwink us uh, on our ability to collect signature data. And C this is something that we we need to get on top of. And the, that o- is the, the the case. The only country that really would have the ability to do something like this would be us, wouldn't it? I mean, China and Russia are not uh, not up to speed where we even we are. Well, you know, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't underestimate the Chinese or the or the Russians. I, I think uh, they are mm. very very capable. Um, they've been able to, in, in occasion in the past, in some cases, surprise us. But yeah, one would say, well, if this is some sort of super secret technology, then more than likely it's the U.S. But let's break down that argument for just a brief moment. We do not test super secret aircraft in and around uh, large carrier battle groups that are underway, um, whether it's in a combat theater or even even back here at home. We just don't do that without proper coordination, because obviously you have you have issues of air safety, you have issues of a technology potentially being leaked. Um, and there's all sorts of, of organizations in the Department of Defense, particularly the Joint Staff. Their whole job is to deconflict um, those type of efforts and activities. That's why right. you have areas like Area 51 where you can fly these things in secret and you're not going to get a whole lot of people looking at it. Likewise, you you, you would assume they wouldn't be tested over uh, large population areas like Phoenix. Uh, so, right. That, is, you, that you, is certainly not the way we do business. That is not the way right. the, our national security apparatus tests super secret stealthy technology now that phoenix situation where thousands and thousands if not tens of thousands of people saw all those lights in the sky back in 98 or whenever that was with a triangle shape and some said it was miles across uh what what have you found out about that has there been any new information over the last 20 years that's come out about that situation uh that, yes and no. Not that has necessarily come out, but that has been studied and researched. Yes, and this kind of goes back to the to the more recent theories that what we're looking at here may potentially be a, a culmination of of really one type of exotic technology uh, being used. Um, again, unfortunately, I really can't go into a whole lot of detail with that. First of all, I'm not qualified. I'm not a, I'm not a physicist or a scientist. But two, I think it's still a little premature right now to come out with any type of of real theory on it yet we're hoping to in the next maybe eight months maybe have that uh do you believe that or, it, do you believe that is it is uh homegrown technology earthbound um, technology I, mr beck with all due respect i usually don't like to give my opinion on things like this yeah all right. one thing i've learned as an intel officer you can be absolutely sure of something and still be absolutely wrong okay so i so I think collecting the data let the facts speak for themselves sure. and let the american people make up their own mind what the, this might be totally totally reasonable and and much more wise not not great radio but um, <laughs> but very wise um l- l- let me let me ask you uh, uh let me ask you this way if these were 
from another planet or species or whatever it is, if it's not, if it's otherworldly, doesn't that say something really calming about <laughs> the uh, being watched? They have been around for a long time and they haven't really. Th- not it's not vaporized. like they're coming here to, you know, terraform us. Mm-hmm. They've been here for a while. Well, that that's a great, great point, too. I mean, I think depending how you look at this philosophically and even sociologically uh, as a society, some people will look at this and say, oh, this is this is comforting to know that we're not alone. And others may look at this and actually it, it could be a little bit disturbing and, and a hard pill to swallow for some. Uh, it really depends, I think, on 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 your personal views of the world. You know, from a national security perspective, the one question they always ask me is, why why does DOD consider this a threat? Well, our job in DOD is to consider everything as a threat, potentially, until we're sure it's not a threat. So, mm-hmm. you know, the one, one, if you will, the one allegory I've told people, say, imagine at night you go to lock your doors at your front door, you lock your windows, and you turn on your alarm system, and one morning you wake up to get a nice hot cup of coffee in the morning, and downstairs in the living room there's muddy boot prints. Now, the doors are still locked, the windows are locked, and the alarm is on, but somehow you have these muddy boot prints in your living room. No one's been hurt. Nothing's been taken. Nothing's out of place. But you have these prints that weren't there the night before. So the question is, is that a threat? Well, I don't know if it's a threat, but it has the potential to be a threat if it wanted to be. So that's why I think from a national security perspective, we do look at it from that optic. Um, Does it necessarily mean it is a threat? No, absolutely not. But we need more data. We need more information before we can make any type of, of assessment whether or not these things are a threat or not. You said to me uh, two years ago that the the evidence with the DOD of UFOs is overwhelming. What does that mean? Right. What does that mean to you? It means during my time with the ATIP program that there was enough data there that not uh, not only we were able to collect but other organizations and agencies were able to collect that allowed us to recognize the reality that these things are real. Now, what they are and where they're from, you know, I, I certainly don't want to speculate, but are they real physical objects? Yes, they are. They are there. So what, why this sudden openness with the DOD? Is it just because of the Internet? Why, why, why are we hearing something that has been denied forever? And that's crazy talk, and you're crazy if you even think you saw one. Why is it now coming out that, yeah, that why does the DOD take two years and then finally come out and say, yeah, that's that really did happen? They've never done that in the well, past. Well, in all fairness, in, in, in defense of, of the department, you know, it, DOD is a large bureaucracy, and DOD is fantastic once it has a defined threat in addressing those those threats. But here is something that we have no idea how it works, what it is, where it's from, or anything else like that. None of the interrogatives. And uh, that's, that's, that's hard for an organization like DOD to, to come out and say, yeah, these things are real or they're not real if we don't even have enough data. Um, and information is not getting to the right people in, in, in senior DOD leadership. But I, I will also say that I think it's, it's a tremendous testament to the courage of the Navy to come out with his statement finally and say, yeah, these things are real. Um, one of the reasons why I think maybe they're changing their tune a little bit, and again, I don't like to, to speculate too much, but it may very well be the fact that so many pilots now are coming into contact with these things. And by the way, let's not forget, every single person out there has some sort of smartphone with very, very capable yeah. digital yeah. collection capabilities, such as cam- digital cameras and even IR. So 
we may be reaching a critical mass where where there's enough individuals out there that uh, it's going to be really, really hard to 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 deny that that information. Luis, uh, just because of your you know, you ran a clandestine source operations in uh, the Middle East, a uh, special agent in charge for national intelligence, um, you know, um, the national counterintelligence executive, blah, blah, blah. You have the expertise, and if you have something that you can say, I'd like to hold you over. Can you comment on what you think is happening or should be happening with uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia? Wow. Uh, you know, I probably no longer qualify to, to okay. answer a question like that, but I, I do have friends that, that are engaged. And there's one thing I'll offer to the American people that – Right now, the intelligence community community and the Department of Defense have some of the very brightest minds, the greatest talent looking at this issue, and others too, by the way. Um, the DOD never sleeps. It has a global 24-7 mission, mm-hmm. uh, 365 days a year, and uh, the, the incredible men and women that are part of that effort, you know, it's, it's amazing. Half, half the time, they don't, <laughs> I think they don't even sleep. Uh, and they are they are managing these issues for us, so our, our leaders can make well informed decisions. I think Saudi Arabia and Iran is a very um, very perplexing and challenging issue, uh, but it's not new. It's been around for a while, and it's also an evolving issue. It's something that every day goes by. There's a there's a new piece to the equation that has to be figured out. Uh, it's kind of like a math problem that continues to to compound upon itself and get more and more increasingly more difficult to to solve. Um, thankfully, we have very smart people in our intelligence community and in our Department of Defense that, that are looking at these problems. They're strategizing and they're trying to anticipate uh, right. what tomorrow may bring. All right. I appreciate your frankness on that. Uh, Luis, thank you so much. Luis Elizondo to the starsacademy.com, uh, the national security director uh, there. Thank you so much. All right. Weird statement. That it's, you know, 20 years. It's a little too soon to comment on that. But we'll have the answer in eight months. <laughs> What's that kind of a weird statement? What are you talking about? When I asked him about the Phoenix situation. Well, oh. What is going on there with the gigantic triangles Well, I think you know, what he's saying is is that they've been investigating. Yeah. His, but, his been investigating. But it's premature to, to comment on that. In 20 years? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, maybe we'll just never know. Uh, I mean, there were so many witnesses to that event that it's just, it's undeniable that something happened there. There was something in the sky over Phoenix in 1998, and it was gigantic. Now, was that only picked up by film, uh, you know, or video? Um, but was it picked up on radar? Did they see? Radar? I'm not sure, but there's all kinds of film on it. Yeah, there's all kinds of, I mean, people were... You know, shooting it in all kinds of different ways. And and they estimated, I don't know, 10,000 people probably called the police or, or called some form of authority figure and reported it. And the governor himself saw it, talked about it at the time. I mean, it's just, just it happened. I don't even, I, I barely you recall. You don't remember that? No, I barely. Yeah, well, was, my mind has been wiped. Well, that's true. Uh, I mean, that's true. Know, so yeah. a lot kind of, of us don't remember that because... Uh, <laughs> Men in Black showed up. Hate when that happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I think the Democrats would like that to happen. Uh, from what they did this weekend, 
Um, they were talking about, you know, factory farming. Uh, they've talked about how we have to stop eating hamburgers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the Cortez uh, comment. We should we shouldn't be eating a hamburger for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Like, let's keep it real. I, I don't eat a hamburger. I don't for eat breakfast. A hamburger for breakfast. I don't know anybody who does. I don't know a single person that I don't think Ronald McDonald eats one for breakfast, lunch, no. and dinner. Um, Seventeen of the nineteen candidates uh, that are remaining on the Democratic platform, they went to Iowa and they participated in the Polk County Steak Fry. I love that. Ten thousand five hundred steaks for attendees. <laughs> And a thousand vegan burgers, and uh, and they uh, many of them went and just were flipping steaks. Now wait a minute, wouldn't this be like a climate catastrophe? Wouldn't this be a crime against the climate? <laughs> nah, don't worry nah. about it. Don't worry about it. Hypocrisy? Nah, not to worry nah, about. Not with the no. not with the Democrats. We'll we'll go to their hypocrisy in just a couple of minutes. Stand by. Is the Glenbeck program. So, did you see the woman that uh, approached Beto and said, um, Hell no, you're not taking my gun? Right into a hostile crowd of Beto supporters and took the microphone and just stood her ground pretty impressive yeah here's the uh here's the audio listen it's quiet it's good she was really yeah, she's quiet getting, when she, she kind of have, whispered it we don't have it we don't have it because i say we're working on really it. okay they're we're working we on got it. it we got it okay <laughs> now we have it hello thank you so much for taking my question um, my name is Lynn, and um, i drove down here from rifle colorado to uh-huh. speak with you today um, i was one of the gun owning americans that heard your speech and heard what you had to say um, regarding hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15s and your AR. And your let's AK let's be respectful. Let's 47. be respectful. Well, I am here to say hell no, you're not. Nice. Um, nice. So with that, um, I would like to know how you intend to legislate evil because it is not the gun; it is the heart of the man that does that. We all have stories. Excuse me. Let's 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 allow her to finish, please, please, please. We please. can all have these stories. We all have the experiences. I was living in Aurora during Columbine. I had just recently moved um, when the Aurora shootings happened, yet I have very close ties here. Yet all of those people were there defenseless. They had no way to defend themselves against a crazed shooter. So I want to know how you intend to legislate the hearts of men and leave American citizens like, my felt, my, like myself, American mothers, I have four children, I'm five foot zero, 100 pounds, cannot really defend myself with a fist. It, it, it's okay, let's, let, please let's allow her to finish. I don't have my AR-15 today, I have my Glock. Oh, you should Don't worry, sir, either. I have your back. Um, anyway, <laughs> I want to know how you're going to legislate that because a criminal by defense breaks the law. So all you're going to do is restrict law-abiding citizens like myself. Right. We all know that you, sir, have a criminal history, and <laughs> I understand that burglars do not like do not like armed defense. It's okay. Yes, sir. Um, burglars do not like armed defense. Yet that is a right that we have that shall not be infringed was, in America. That was in okay, I, I I really appreciate the question, and I'm sure he th- does. 
presumption, and this, can you get the microphone on a different channel because it keeps cutting out? Um, there's this presumption that we are just, I guess, inherently evil. Because you ask, how are we going to legislate this? And um, the 40,000 gun deaths in, in America just must be something wrong with us. Or gets back to this idea that I began my comments with, with is, this, is, this just, um, is this just our fate? Uh, asinine it's like it's just a, i mean wait this is just our fate because we're somehow evil yeah you know here's the thing our founders were very very clear men given power given money given the chance to be corrupt will be corrupt they will now once in a while there won't be somebody i mean i i in in my faith um, you are asked to be the bishop and you can, it could be me. It won't be, but it could be me next week. And you're asked to be the bishop. And I have met so many bishops and I've known them before they were bishops. And I, I thought about this the other day when I was, I left my bishop and, and he was teary eyed over the love that he had for some members of the congregation and he was just so empathetic. And I left there and I came home and I said to my wife, I have never met a man who has been called a bishop and left a worse man. Every single one I have ever met has become a better man. And perhaps that's because there is no power in that position. You don't have any power in that position. In fact, it's all set up the opposite way. You are the greatest servant in that position. And you're doing it for free. You're and you're doing it for free. For you're not getting paid. You get no accolade. You get nothing. And mm-hmm. nobody wants that job. Nobody wants that job. And they're always, they always leave better men. Now, tell me in a position, a worldly position, where somebody leaves a better person. Can you tell me that you've ever seen anyone go to Washington and leave a better person than they were? They're Mm. lucky if they get out with all of their dignity and honor and integrity intact, right? Mm -hmm. They're lucky if they just Mm -hmm. hold it. But be a better man? I, I don't. I can't think of an instant. I can't. I can't. Maybe I mean, Abraham. Maybe Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, maybe. Except maybe he, he didn't. He didn't even get to. He didn't get. To, he didn't get a chance see, to uh, finish see him it. afterwards. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really rare. We are not evil. We are born, all of us, with goodness and decency. But we also have that natural man inside of us that we're fighting. And some people don't even fight it. They want it. They feel good about it. <laughs> Look at what he says. It, somehow or another, we we are just we're just having to. You're you're making everyone evil. No, sir. You are making everyone evil. Everybody you who has an AR-15 is, is evil. evil, and they got to turn that in, right, to get rid of the evil in them. Right. We're saying that evil does exist, mm-hmm. and. 
the government can't be everywhere, that we are the first responders, and we have a right to defend ourselves when that one evil person shows up in our life. Because there are those people that will go bad. And we don't collectively get better. We individually get better. This, this Beto thing is incredible. Did you hear what he said this weekend? I want to take your guns. He said, but I, I, believe, um, I believe in the Constitution. Uh, and I believe in the Second Amendment. But we don't need these guns for hunting. <laughs> you get... Then you don't understand the Second Amendment. If you think the Second Amendment is about hunting, you don't even understand it. And you can't say, uh, I believe in the Second uh, Second Amendment, but But I'm going to take your guns. You can't. can't. It's impossible. You can't. I'm sorry. You think uh, it's a little hypocritical? Uh, Yeah, I think that's a little. A a lot. lot, Maybe even a lot hypocritical. Okay. You know, I I have a little game. You want to play Brain Dead or Beto? Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. I support mm-hmm. the Second Amendment, but but we we should ban all guns because we don't need them for for hunting. Well, I think that's an easy one, uh, Beto. I, I think we it's just both brain that. dead and Beto. Yeah. it's brain dead Beto. I think actually, <laughs> um, flipping burgers after giving a global warming anti meat speech. I'm going to say brain dead on that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't. Know I don't think. It, I'm not sure if Beto was there. Was he there? <laughs> if he was. It's just Beto, but yes. I, I'm not sure he was, so it's brain dead. Uh, smoking while trying to pass the anti-vaping bill. Brain dead. Brain dead, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, listening to Eminem with Tipper Gore. <laughs> Pretty sure Beto didn't do that, so yeah, that's got to be yeah. brain dead. Uh, yeah. How about this one? Pushing for universal health care while at the Mayo Clinic as a patient. <laughs> Uh, brain dead. Brain dead. But it could mm-hmm. be Beto. Could be Beto. Attending Davos while railing against the 1%. Yeah, I don't think he's been to Davos. Wearing a hijab while supporting women's rights <laughs> and gay marriage. I don't think he's worn a hijab. Yeah. I'm going to say brain dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being pro-union and open borders. That could be Beto. Beto. Yes, Beto. Claiming to be Hispanic while 100% <laughs> Irish. Let's see. Yeah. Robert Francis <laughs> Beto O'Rourke. Yes, I think yeah. that's exactly that's, that's exactly Beto. it. Oh, these guys, man. And wait until you see. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, the president is now speaking uh, at the United Nations uh, on the protection of religious freedom. He just said, and I quote, our rights do not come from government. They come from God. This is a really, really important distinction um, that the rest of the world does not have. We do, but the rest of the world doesn't understand that. Uh, And that's one of the things that has always made us completely different. Um, he's talking now in front of Saudi Arabia, in front of China, talking about religious liberty being threatened and banned around the world. China is one of the worst. Uh, they've just upped all of their um, their tracking and their containing of the Uyghurs in, in China. It's really bad what they're doing to the Muslims and the Christians in China. I doubt he's going to say anything on that. No, I'd be surprised. Yeah. Now, he did say that he got, he, quote, obliterated the Johnson Amendment. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the Johnson Amendment was uh, something that was put in uh, by uh, by Johnson. And now this is not. This is when he was, I believe, in the Senate. Was it not? Uh, and it was to um, not allow any five hundred one c three to be able to speak politically. Basically, no churches. Mm-hmm. could say anything from the pulpit. And I don't know how people... If they wanted to keep their tax-exempt status. Right. I don't know how that happens in these black churches with the Democrats. Yeah, They're please. always I mean, there doing that. Um, and uh, How long did did Jeremiah Wright operate uh, under the Johnson right. Amendment? The whole time. Right. Right. This was put in in 1954, uh, and... Uh, and Trump says that they have obliterated it. I didn't know that. I've I got to talk to a couple of friends today to make sure that that is accurate. The Washington Post says it isn't. But do you believe the Washington Post? They say they gave him four Pinocchios on that. Yeah, but do, do you believe the Washington Post? Not necessarily. But they say he claims he ended it with a, uh, with a presidential uh, order. And... With an executive order, and they say no, he did not. Four Pinocchios. Hmm. He has repeatedly tried to gut the Johnson Amendment, and on June 13th, the House Appropriations Committee approved an extraneous policy writer to do just that. Um, and I have a copy of the writer. Now, this is not from the Washington Post. The so-called Johnson Amendment, proposed by then-minority leader Lyndon Johnson in 1954, adopted without controversy by a Republican majority in Congress signed in law by Eisenhower, Republican, and strengthened by Reagan. Candidates Trump and Pence, working with Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell Jr., and other vocal evangelists, made uh, repeal of the Johnson Amendment a frequent campaign rallying cry for the base. And I think that's because it was only enforced one way, right? Correct. The left had every right to preach whatever they wanted to from the pulpit, but the right did not. It just gave it just gave government in anybody's hand, whoever chooses to use it, um, another weapon to mm-hmm. wield against political. This is the problem. We were talking earlier today about how we are becoming a banana republic. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi saying that, she wants to be able to indict a sitting president. Well, that is exactly what happens in banana republics. You can indict them. Now, an indictment doesn't mean you're guilty. And that means that the president would have to go to court and answer to an indictment. You want to indict, indict after they don't have any more political power. Right. You know, make the case. You can impeach them. That would cripple a presidency. It would cripple a presidency. And if you don't think that both sides would be indicting the other side all the time, Mm -hmm. it's what a banana republic does. You indict first. The next step is you just start to arrest all of your political opponents. You just come up with charges and you arrest them. That's a banana republic. It's the reason why we didn't put uh, Nixon in jail. I think Nixon should have gone to jail. But the argument is you don't start that. You impeach them and you get and you just make the case with the American people and you have it tried in the Senate for all to see and hear. 
and you get them out of there. Because once you start throwing political people in jail during their tenure, it's over. You've just you've just you've just outlined the end of the republic. And that's what the Democrats, I think, are shooting for. This is the Glenn Beck Program.